A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 207 of the No Encore remote-only music podcast. Craig Fitzpatrick from Leakslip in Kildare. How the hell are you, my friend? <laughs> How you doing? That's where I am. It's where I've been for weeks and weeks and weeks, and that tells you a little about how I'm doing. <laughs> I think like a week ago, <laughs> when we last we talked, I was in the phase of... um like paraphrasing both Nietzsche and Karl Marx on Microsoft Teams to my colleagues. Um, this week, I'm currently speaking to you through a pair of my ma's old tights. <laughs> um, so it's an evolving situation we've got going on here, Dave. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, yes, that is true. We are currently trying our best to upgrade our equipment. Uh, Craig has fashioned a pop shield together from, we didn't have one last couple of weeks, so sorry about that. But yeah, ho- hopefully this is better. Uh, although uh, it should be noted that we are trying to adapt to this situation, as is the entire world, of course. And one of the ways of doing so is Craig has ordered a sexy brand new microphone and equipment online, which will be winging its way to him right now, we hope. I yeah. don't know. I, I, hopefully the person... It's called a Yeti. Is it? Okay. Personally... I went for the more expensive Yeti one. Um, <laughs> the one that was recommended, I think, was called the Snowflake. And I was like, I can't get the Snowflake sent to me. I think it was so called the Yeti. Snowball, but either way. We'll, we'll <laughs> That's <see>. even worse. 
Yeah, so hopefully there's someone uh, diligently shipping your order right now. But I guess this is probably as good a time as any. And I, I do want to preface this by saying that we are highly keenly aware of how the world is in really bad shape at the moment. The last thing we want to do is be asking anybody for some hard-earned cash. However, we have been threatening to set up a Patreon for the show forever now, and we've finally done it. What a time to do it! Um, so I yeah, know. it's finally up. Uh, it's patreon.com slash noancore, I believe. We'll be tweeting out... The link to it on my Twitter account at Henry Dave, Craig's Twitter account at Craigie's Lane, and the No Encore Show at No Encore Show on Twitter with this new episode as well. Basically, um, we, you know, it's if you want to support the show, it's there. We would greatly appreciate your support if you can do so. I'm not going to ramble on with this for like five minutes or so. It's kind of a pay what you want thing for now uh, in terms of tiers and extra bonuses and yada yada. The show, as we have already noted, is kind of at capacity in terms of what we do. So if you want to help keep the lights on and and, you know, help us upgrade the equipment and all that kind of stuff. That'd be amazing. In terms of what's coming up on the show, I should say, uh, on this episode, we'll be reviewing the new album from Pearl Jam. We'll be doing our top five late career highlights. And of course, we'll be going over all the news in the music world this week. And there's actually been a bit of pickup in the news this time, which is pretty good. Upcoming in terms of the show, though, I've just recorded a brand new episode of No Popcorn. That's our film offshoot with Dave Higgins and Norma Howard. We talked about 8 Mile, nice. Eminem's foray into the world of acting. And uh, that's been recorded. That's in the can. So that's going to come quite soon i will have a standalone interview with the scratch coming they've just released their brand new album as well we're checking out and i'm always looking to do other projects we're looking to do the, uh, the most that we can in this kind of strange time and just keep the show going in general as we do so yeah if you want to support the show patreon.com slash no encore we really really would greatly appreciate it uh apart from that craig some personal news if i may I am no longer a member of Joe.ie. I have left the job. It's all over. He's left the building. Well, congratulations, hey, dude. Moving yes. on to bigger and better things. Um, switching roles at an interesting time, uh, I Big might time, say. Yeah. Um, Fuck me. I mean, the timing yeah. is... But no, congratulations, dude. Thank you. Yeah. End of an era. End of an era. Two and a half years. Uh, again, I won't talk about this too much. I know this is my podcast, but I don't want to be too indulgent. I will say that over the last two and a <laughs> half years, particularly on the the music side of things, I'm very, very happy with the work that I've put together, whether it was long form reads on the likes of Go and See Picture This Five Times, interviews with Dermot Kennedy, <laughs> Slipknot, Niall Horan went out last weekend. Uh, villagers, yeah. you name it, and even stuff like uh, criticizing the Stripes uh, 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 <laughs> during their demise. Uh, lots, lots more. That, oh yeah, it's that been it's been a hell of a run. I, I legitimately just want to say thank you to anybody who ever read anything that I wrote. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting time to move on. I'm moving on to a different gig, uh, something a little bit different. I won't be writing as much, but I will talk more about that in due course. I just want to see how it goes first before I start crowing about. And also, it's not really a time to be like, oh, I've got a new job. This is amazing. You know, I think. Um, um, Andrea Cleary of the Another Nine podcast, bitter rivals to the end, of course. She did make the gag there about a week and a half ago when I told her. She was like, Dave, I think you're the only person in the world to get a job uh, this week. So it yeah. is an interesting time. Your sure. timing is impeccable as always. Well, actually, uh, in, in my work, there was um, we had a, a new starter this week and I just, my heart went out to the dude, like trying to catch up, trying to get to know people on Microsoft Teams. Me fucking paraphrasing Nietzsche. Uh, <laughs> but he's doing his best. It's all part of the fun, I guess. Yeah, it's all ahead of me. He missed out in the hazing, so. It's yeah, it's going to be. Yes, yeah. It's it going to be weird the having that. Future's ahead of us all. <laughs> having that kind of, you know, weird first day of school feeling, but it being a digital school for me is going to be interesting. Cause, uh, <laughs> but look, I'm not, the last yeah. thing I'm going to do is complain. I'm actually very excited. It's, it, it's a good moment in, a, in like, like at, a, at a weird fucking time. Anyway, that's enough about us. Let's talk music. Actually, c- oh, oh, yeah, on, let, well, on. before no. we 
before sorry i was just it just popped into my head before we talk music we were talking on whatsapp today about matt damon potentially in dublin i don't know did you get to the bottom of that i didn't catch up i feel like it's being debunked. There was photos going around of him embracing people there it was seems like yeah. there were old photos yeah there's apparently matt damon was spotted out for a run in kalini apparently he's filming something over here but like the photograph had him standing next to a woman like big smile and arm around her shoulder and i was like no matt no not now and yeah, uh, no popcorn co-host David Higgins was like, there's people in the cafe behind them. And then he looked up the cafe oh, okay. in particular, which had posted a notice of closure about two weeks ago, three weeks ago at this stage. So no, debunked. I think it's real, but it's not current, essentially. So there Okay, you go. okay. I'm kind of relieved. I know, I think last week I said I was over the whole celebrity thing because of coronavirus, but clearly I'm not, if it's the right kind of celebrity. I was about to say, like, I'm trying to, like, you know, get the show on the road here, but you're like, let's talk about celeb gossip. <laughs> like, where's Sorry. that coming from? <laughs> it was just like, I had a busy day. I saw it going on WhatsApp. I was like, is that an actual thing? But it's not an actual thing. I'm glad. So let's move on to real news. Yeah, let's get into the music news. And of course, the last couple of shows in particular have been dominated by the ongoing coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic outbreak across the world. So so we'll kind of we'll talk about the the key points i suppose and unfortunately we start with some very very sad news adam Schlesinger, the singer songwriter behind fountains of wayne and also someone who wrote a ton of music for film and television including uh, the songs and particularly the the main song for that thing you do that um kind of satirical comedy about a uh, doo-wop band or whatever the, the genre was. Yeah, yeah. Um, passed away after being hospitalised. He was only 52 years of age. He died of coronavirus-related complications. Uh, immediately, so shocking. like, you're seeing a, an absolute deluge of tributes to this person. I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, like, for an awful lot of people, myself included, I'll be brutally honest, I mean, Fountains of Wayne, you think about Stacey's mom, you know, this kind of 2003 big hit that would have been a bit of a crossover for them, but... It's not really telling you anywhere close to the full story. If you go back to the first Fountains of Wayne record in particular, it's an incredibly well-written pop album. They had a lot more to them than just that one kind of basically novelty hit, which itself, by the way, give it credit, was well-written. That's why it was a hit. Um, he's someone who leaves behind oh, yeah, like, a quite, a, quite a large body of work. And it is one of those just kind of really sobering, 52 is no age. It's just quite shocking. It happened quite fast. I remember seeing the reports coming in that he'd gone to hospital and then all of a sudden on Wednesday evening, it was confirmed that he'd passed away. So it's it's genuinely shocking, Craig. It is, yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, we were talking about the celebrity thing there a second ago, but, you know, if you're lucky enough not to have a family member or a friend affected as yet, touch wood for everyone out there, I guess, you know, well-known names you have some affection for or, you know, have some context for when they're affected, it does drive home how real this is, I guess. And just, yeah, 52 is no age. Um, a band that I wouldn't have been... I never got hugely into. I always enjoyed when I heard them. Uh, I think Welcome Interstate Managers is actually great. I was listening to it today. But they had, yeah, they had some body work. I think like in a different era, in a different generation, they could have been like a kind of Cars-esque band. Like they had the real power pop chops. They're really smart songwriters. Um, I actually really liked Hackensack back in the day. I was listening to that today. And I think actually when that album came out, they were going through a bit of a rough patch. Um, they'd been dropped by their label. They felt kind of like the classic story of like in your 30s and already wa- washed up kind of thing. Um, and the lead singer, Chris Collingwood, was, you know, he kind of spiraled into a severe depression because Husvedal and Adam was the guy that was like, get back to writing. Um, you know, here's some songs I've been working on. Let's just get back to it. And kind of helped lift his friend out of that 
resulting album was their biggest and yeah it just seemed like a really generous dude that knew exactly what to do in that situation for his friend so on top of the talent a good guy and yeah he had a like he touched like a lot of different sectors of the entertainment industry like he did stuff for snl kind of a big handle in a lot of comedy stuff as you say um so yeah um uh, an absence that will be keenly felt and let's hope these kind of stories are few and far between yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, it is that thing of news on this thing changes like the wind. So even referring to some stuff that's already happened feels a bit kind of almost dangerous. So we won't get too far into ongoing stuff. But I will just say that uh, about a week ago, there was reports that Ramstein frontman Till Lindemann had been hospitalized and was in a critical condition, but apparently recovered okay. Uh, the Hives okay. lead singer, Howling Pelva Amquist, is recovering from coronavirus as well. And it, it is, I mean, it is that thing of like, as you say, it is, if you can count yourself among people at the moment who aren't directly affected, well then, that may not be the case forever. I mean, hopefully we'll all get through this uh, without minimal damage to our own direct like individual lives. But there is that thing of like seeing celebrities just kind of be affected by it in one way or the other that kind of makes it that little bit extra like, whoa. I mean, like, I don't, yeah, I, I don't mean to say anything insensitive here, but it's just such a, it's such a real-time moment in our lives that when you even see like the first athletes getting diagnosed or Mikel Arteta, you're like, fuck, you know, I mean, like even like Ryan Tuberty, you're like, wow, there's, there's just something so strange about it. Like there's no kind putting of putting faces to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, like, it, so yeah, it's, I mean, like it's, I don't know. I mean, like, like on, on, I guess on the, the kind of more lighthearted side of this thing, you're obviously seeing a lot of people trying to do unique things. Um, yeah, well, you said you were talking about um, Pele from the Hives there, and he is recovering. Uh, Touchwood, he's all good, but yeah, they've began, began um, sharing like super exclusive pa shows to entertain fans. They've called it "Welcome to the Hive Manor Live Manor" um, in pure Hive style. <laughs> so maybe now's the time to get back into the Hives. I might check those ones out. I know we had this discussion where we're like. Are we, you know, already getting a bit tired of, you know, bedroom homestead sessions? But I think like the hive stuff, yeah, that might be the energy boost you need. I've also been like getting kind of a little sick of all this like productivity porn almost online where people are like, now's the time to tackle that project or like, here's how I'm being creative in this space. And I just want to like curl up in a ball. Um, but like obviously a lot of bands are doing that. Um, Blink-182 are trying to put together a quarantine themed music video. I think I saw the 1975 were doing something similar of getting like flat fan clips together. Um, Kasabian have shared a workout video for fans. <laughs> we're so lucky. Interested in that, Dave? <laughs> yeah. Not really, no. Also, it should be noted that that Blink-182 request is for a song called Happy Days off their current album, which is one of the worst songs they've ever released. Um, yeah, it's... It, it, it oh, is, really? Oh, terrible. Yeah, really, really bad stuff. How do you feel, by the way, about artists pushing album releases back you mentioned the 1975 they've just announced another delay the album is now not coming out until may lady gaga did the same thing recently some people have like dua lipa put out her album a week early actually i believe and a lot of the bigger hitters there are like just pushing it back sam smith is pushing their album back as well i mean like do you think that there's a bit of a cynical move here or is it fair enough i think it's fair enough it's people's careers right um it seems like logical to us as fans um you know our immediate thing was, okay, everyone's at home. Of course, people are streaming stuff. It's a good time maybe to be a musician and connecting with people directly and selling stuff that way. But obviously, you know, yeah, huge album rollout. There's such kind of, you know, it's such a machine behind it. You're doing different bits of promo. People in general, even though they can access music, like I know for the last few episodes, I was saying, I'm not really listening to that much stuff outside of stuff for the show because I'm just 
we're swamped, we're all in different head spaces. So yeah, I think it's it's fair game if you want to go, okay, let's wait till the world is back to some form of normality to get on with our normal day jobs. I think I'd be a hypocrite to say, no, don't do that, because it's it's probably the move that I would make in that position. I certainly don't feel like working a huge amount at the moment, even though, you know, it's been incredibly busy. So yeah, I think people need to do what's right for them. It is also interesting. I'm letting, I'm letting the 1975 off the hook. <laughs> That's what this pandemic has done to me. <laughs> I know you'd rather review that album in a post-pandemic world, Craig, so you can give it the full attention yes. that all 22 or 23 songs on the record deserve. So that essentially, be the new title in a post-pandemic world. Don't rule it out. It wouldn't shock me if Matty Healy is trying to work the coronavirus. What is it? It's notes on a conditional form, is it? Notes on moment? a conditional form, yes. Okay. Following on from a brief inquiry into online, online relationships. relationships. Yeah, absolutely. They're the Zeitgeist band of the moment. It still freaks me out, by the way, they are. that I went to see them literally one month ago, like the start of March in yeah. Free Arena, surrounded by thousands and thousands of people. <laughs> like The idea of that Do you now. get the creeps kind of thinking back to it? Yeah, like retrospective creeps of being like, oh my God, that was a, a breeding ground for... A little bit, yeah. It's genuinely kind of frightening now. Like the idea of such thing feels so far away from us and I hope it isn't, but I feel like it will be. Uh, Yeah, I mean, aside from that, you have all kinds of other initiatives happening. I believe Abbey Road's been repainted because no one's there to tread all over it. You know, that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, like it struck me as almost one of those parody things of like, you know, nature is healing itself. You know, people are just doing photoshops of like dinosaurs swimming in the Venice canals. It's like (laughs) Abbey Road is is being repainted. feel good isn't it (laughs) like i don't know i find it hilarious that they didn't find any time to repaint it like surely like tourists aren't there at like four in the morning i don't know anderson pack is have you ever done the abbey road thing no No, of course you haven't haven't. i I went there once and it was a big letdown you'll be shocked to hear it's just a road (laughs) it's a zebra crossing Oh my god. No, I haven't gone there, Craig. Yeah. Anderson Pack, though, friend of the show, is launching a new colouring club for kids in quarantine. Hashtag paint That's with awesome. pack. Uh, paint with every pack. Friday. I'm on board. What else we got here? Post Malone is hosting a virtual beer pong. Hosting a virtual beer pong tour. I worry about him. Sorry, it's called the Balana Cup. Which what? <laughs> like, is he from mayor? Irish stock? He must be, right? <laughs> Ugh, I don't know. A beer pong tournament. I, I feel it. like everyone's been driven to drink as well with this this thing. So hope hope Posty's doing okay. I had I'm, a friend I'm currently... message a group today that our show doesn't know, but just with a with a flask at about half twelve in the day, being like, I'm finding myself drinking at strange and unusual times, but like probably less than usual. So it's all good. I don't know. It sounded like a slippery slope to me. <laughs> I'm on my second beer of the day. I'm trying very hard to limit it to the weekends, but I figured like I'm on my holidays now, so it's okay. <laughs> yes, you're what allowed now. You're is. in that kind of nice limbo period before you start a job where you don't really have anything to do. It's like a, a fresh start. It's it's usually good vibes. There's always stuff to do, Craig. You know? <laughs> busy man. I love sorry, I love how like in this roundup here of uh coronavirus related stories that you've kind of put together as a whirlwind wrap up, you've included Dave Grohl, if it weren't for Nirvana, Foo Fighters wouldn't be in the position we're in now. <laughs> Revelatory stuff there, Dave. Yeah, I think I included that just to basically say, no way. <laughs> what a shocker. That was like your classic enemy headline where it's, it's you know, it's generally Dave Grohl or it's one of the Gallagher's talking about Oasis not getting back together. I guess we could maybe finish with David Byrne, who, um, do you remember he launched his Reasons to be Cheerful website? That went well, I think yeah. about, what, six months before the world went totally to shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's trying. He's really trying. Um, 
But yeah, he had some nice sentiments and he was talking about, you know, um, in emergencies, uh, citizens can suddenly cooperate and collaborate. Change can happen. Going to need to work together as the effects of climate change and everything else ramp up. In order for capitalism to survive in any form, we will have to be a little more socialist. I think somewhere Britney Spears is (laughs) waving her sickle in the air. As we talked about last week. I would be very, very up for a David Byrne and Britney Spears collaboration. So listen, on that note, on that kind of grand sentiment from the great David Byrne, we did mention a lot of people have been pushing their records back and kind of, you know, rearranging plans. Yes. Another hero has stepped forward, though, and put out a brand new seven track EP. Came out last Friday. Let's take a listen. Trying to believe when your mind's made. Of course, it's our old friend Jeremy Renner. He's back with a new EP <laughs> called The Medicine. And that was the song right Ugh. there in particular. The title track, the lead-off track of this amazing seven-track EP, which came out on Friday. I mean, I, I was spoiled for choice. So I was just like, what am I going to listen to today? Obviously, I'm going to start with Renner. He did say, I've always found music to be one of the few things that unite people in a pure way. So regular David Byrne over <laughs> here. Common ground can be hard to find in today's world, but music has remained a constant for me. To feel deeply, to dance fervently, and live together is more present now than ever. Earlier this week, TMZ reported that Renner requested his child support payments be lowered because the coronavirus pandemic has affected his income. We'll always have the music. Stunning. Stunning. <laughs> End to that story. He's like a cross between a, a poet, a, like a woodland nymph, and a deadbeat dad. <laughs> <laughs> but that music, man, I only heard the title track and, um, like, fully. And he's kind of got a swampy Tom Waits <laughs> thing going on, doesn't he, at the moment? I think he's trying to be a modern oh, really? day, a modern day Leonard Cohen at this stage. I listened to the whole damn thing, Craig. Oh wow, all seven tracks. Do you all think he was tracks? inspired by Kanye with the I'm, "I'm really feeling the number seven at the moment" thing? Yeah, I think so. I think it was a, a Wyoming <laughs> session that never happened. It might shock you to learn that this is not a very good EP. I think I think I'm the oh, only one who's like who's ironically fascinated by this Jeremy Renner thing. I find myself baffled that more and more people aren't really that interested, and thus I crowbar him into every episode we could possibly do. Yeah, like <laughs> remember us talking recently about um when he was doing that interview with some I don't know just some kind of local radio station in the states, but your man was really pressing him to like talk about whether he had any live plans. Jeremy was giving nothing away. He was just saying stuff like, well, actually, you know, live music is is a totally different musical experience. (laughs) People are standing there watching it together and they're experiencing the medium of the music as a totally different medium. Well, he's off the hook at the moment. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Um, But I I wonder if we all get back to normal. Imagine the first big gig you went to (laughs) when the world was reuniting was Renner. <laughs> I'd do it. Stadium tour. I would. If he announced, I totally would do it. Craig, if he announced a gig tomorrow, uh, I was like... I'd I, be there. I'd petition the government to lift the ban. <laughs> so hang on, before we move on from Renner, right? The EP is called The yes. Medicine. I'm going to read you the track listing because the track listing is just the most, like, generic song generator you can possibly imagine. So... Cool, go for it. The Medicine, Never Sorry, Every Woman, Best Part of Me... Ghost and Roses, December Days, and Main Attraction, which 
we played before when we did the worst celebrity songs ever. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> take the time. I know. Listen, I understand what you're saying. Like life is hard right now. It's hard to focus on new stuff. Craig, please take the time. <laughs> okay, it might be my little Friday treat to myself. Okay. Meanwhile, do you remember when we were talking recently about uh, Chuck D and Flavor Flav and Public Enemy just imploding? I do, yeah. I was very torn up about it. <laughs> yeah, famously so. Uh, turns out it was all a ruse, Craig. It was all a big April Oh, Fools. those guys. Yeah. Or was it? Do you reckon? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, apparently this dust up, which led to, like, um, which led to Flavor Flav being ostensibly kicked out of, of the group, um, basically because he wasn't on board with the whole Bernie Sanders rally endorsement thing, was an early April Fool's or building up to an April Fool's, which of course happened this week. And I think quite rightly, nearly everyone just were like, let's not do April Fool's this year. I was delighted with. Tough day for brands. Yeah. But they, you know, they all got (laughs) on board. Fair enough. So this is, yeah, this is like to build up a new project that they put out together. Chuck D said he was inspired by Orson Welles' War of the Worlds hoax. So, you know, very much on the cutting edge. With all due respect (laughs) to Chuck D, one of the most iconic figures, not just in hip hop, but maybe American culture in the, you know, latter half of the 20th century. But fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) He also, like, like, in describing this, he said, like, some interesting stuff that doesn't fully appear that the wounds have healed he said uh you know we felt over the past few years flavor flavor stock was low anybody that could take a shot at him could get a good shot at him cheers mate thanks for getting my back there with that yeah one. talk about passive aggressive <laughs> um and yeah he basically was like you know we fooled y'all here's the new fucking song you can't fire flavor flavor he's a partner you just walk away from your partners but we're all good it's just very lame like it's kind of like schoolyard stuff and yeah not great so congratulations i don't understand what the payoff was supposed to be do you know what i mean like there's no the payoff was a new song payoff a new song that we're not gonna listen to out of protest (laughs) but like no one like the whole point is that right so flavor flav stock was low then no one cares if he gets fired like that's kind (laughs) of the thing if there's a new song with him it's not like oh thank god he's back it's like yeah we we agree with you his stock was low no one cares didn't work as a joke a very poor april fools from again one of the most iconic (laughs) groups in hip-hop history and finally this week in heartwarming news drake is no longer hiding a child fair play to him yeah he shared his first image um of his son adonis the extravagantly named Adonis and extravagantly haired, really good head of hair on that kid. Amazing hair. Um, he posted it with, yeah, with his, um, with his child and his baby mama, um, Sophie, who we heard all about in Pusha D's amazing diss track. Um, he posted with the emotional message, I miss my beautiful family. Sure you do, Drake. Now he's using the excuse <laughs> of coronavirus. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, this seemed like, listen, I hope they're a happy family. I hope for the sake of the child, obviously, he was like, I hope he has a stable family life. But this seemed like pure, like textbook Drake opportunism, right? Sorry, uh, listen, I, I, I'm I'm aware that, that, that it's a kid, right? But I'm just going to say it. That kid's going to be a prick. There's no way around this. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Drake's kid? I don't know. Are you joking? Yeah. There's no chance. That I kid don't know. Is- that kid is simultaneously Steph for life and doomed as a person. So best of luck. Anyway. I mean, can we, there is a long kind of history of obviously celebrity kids not being the best, but there's some examples of very fine um, 
young men and women that have come from huge stars. Sure, yeah. Chet saw. Hanks comes Chet to mind. Hay- <laughs> yeah, Chet Hayes. <laughs> Excuse you. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Letting us all know that his folks were okay in Australia. That was a touching image, wasn't it? Seeing uh, Tom Hanks arrive back on US soil. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of the things you're going to remember. jet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's okay. I got my test immediately because I'm I'm part of the one percent. So okay, look, listen, yeah. that's enough news for one week, Craig. It's time to move on to an album in review. This is the eleventh okay. studio album by Seattle Grunge Kings Pearl Jam. The name of the record is Gigaton, and this song is called "Dance of the Clairvoyance." That was Dance of the Clairvoyance, the kind of um, Talking Heads-esque return from Pearl Jam. To give you a bit of a primer on um, this very fine band, um, it would usually be me, but actually these are more the boys of Dave. Do you want to take this one? Hello, how's it going? My name is Dave Hanratty and I'm the host of the No Encore podcast. Around about the year 2000, let's turn back the clock a little bit. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Uh, I would have, a young Dave in his formative years would have found himself being very, very, very fond indeed of Pearl Jam. They were a kind of a touchstone act for me. I remember one of my brother's friends who's obsessed with that band kind of got me into them here and there and I was hooked for a couple of years in particular. Like they really were like probably the band in my life. I was borderline fucking obsessed with them, even though I've never actually seen them live. But yeah, so I was kind of coming to them at a time when their ascent had certainly happened at, at this point and you know, you could maybe argue that they were maybe past their best to some degree, but we'll we'll get into that. For anyone who does not know who Pearl Jam are, of course, they are an American rock band from Seattle, Washington, and they are like one of the figures in the grunge movement of the 90s. Like this explosion, the thing that killed hair metal supposedly and became like the biggest thing in music for some time, really. Um, there's lots and lots of stories about this band, lots of road stories, war stories. They would have been mentioned the same breath as Pearl Jam. There was kind of a blur oasis divide going on there, you know, and I think, you know, Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain definitely threw some shots at each other and they weren't the best of friends. Of course, you know, numerous times over the last two decades, Vedder has had nothing but good things to say about Kurt Cobain, of course, and very much misses him. Pearl Jam were kind of seen as probably the lamer uh, of those two bands for a lot of people, but they do (laughs) inspire... Serious fucking devotion. I mean, this is a band that whether you love them or whether you hate them or whether you've no real opinion on them, they have legion fans around the world who will go to all of their gigs, buy all of the bootlegs, all of the merch, all that kind of stuff. They really, really did inspire passion in a great amount of people. And they were very, very successful for a time, even while challenging the likes of Ticketmaster. They kind of are their own little kind of cottage industry. Um, it's, It's interesting. I mean, like the sound itself is very much that kind of grunge eddie vedder's vocals are really kind of take them or leave them uh not for everybody i think you could make the point though that 
you know, they do have classic songs and they have some genuinely great albums. Now, for me, like, getting into them around 2000 would have been post-binaural. The first ever Pearl Jam album I ever bought was when I was in school and it was Riot Act in 2002. And that isn't a great record. By the time their self-title came along in 2006, I was still on board. Not a great album as well, although it contains one of their better songs in the form of Come Back. Generally, my love affair with them kind of had waned a lot by that point. And by the time Lightning Bolt happened along in 2013... I really didn't really care too much anymore. I should say that the in-between album Backspacer is genuinely a very good record, but they're kind of one of those bands now that at this stage of their life just kind of are there. I mean, I, I, I greet this new record, Gigaton, not with any great deal of enthusiasm, but certainly with some curiosity. Craig, how was it for you? Yeah, um, I have actually seen them live despite not being the biggest fan. Um, it's nearly 10 years ago now. It was one of my first Hot Press gigs, actually. Um, saw them in what was the O2 at the time, um, Tree Arena. And I was kind of really taken with them from, you know, going in just as a very casual fan in the live setting. They really do excel, I think. I remember saying at the time, like, freed from all those kind of grunge moorings, the songs did sound like classic rock in the best possible way. And in that kind of, like, live setting... I mean, Eddie Vedder's voice is very take it or leave it, but that kind of hell where he distorts words beyond kind of all comprehension and meaning is great live. So I was t- very taken with him at the time. Um, but yeah, like it, it didn't lead me to go, okay, I really need to delve into the back catalogue. I do think it's interesting, you know, as that, you know, they are, as you say, that other big, big Seattle band. And Kurt Cobain would kind of like rag on them musically, um, but still kind of concede, I think, at the time that Eddie Vedder was a great guy when they talked on the phone. Um, And I think Eddie over the years, like great big, like, you know, surfing rock and roll Labrador that he is, was like, I think he was quite hurt that Kurt didn't think they were artistic enough or um, experimental enough or didn't maybe, maybe they were slightly too mainstream. And I think like as a band, it was almost like Smashing Pumpkins when you hear Billy Corgan talk about Kurt not quite liking the meter. Like it still, it still affects them deeply. And Pearl Jam, like from landing with the debut album and being so massive, spent much of the 90s, I think, and the, the kind of half the next decade dismantling that fame to a certain extent. Like they are Neil Young acolytes to, you know, the nth degree. They were, you know, they stopped doing music videos They tried to take on Ticketmaster at a time when their career was just in the ascent, which is a tough thing to do in fair play to them. Like they do seem like a great bunch of lads and they definitely moved away from that kind of anthemic thing quite quickly. And in fairness to them, got a bit more experimental. When I hear that kind of stuff, that experimental stuff, it's it's where I can really kind of chime with Pearl Jam, I think, because the likes of Alive, the likes of Jeremy, those big touchstones for people, those big kind of... um, (sighs) anthemic um raw um universal anthems did very little for me um they just felt very root one for me i I think when they veer more towards the kind of ridiculous for them which is very kind of um relative i guess because their version of experimentalism is probably you know what radiohead were doing 20 years ago but i think it's when they most touched the sublime like we talked about dance of the clairvoyance when it came out which is something slightly different again for them it's you know it's a track built from the drum machine up and i think it works really well because eddie's vocals are so distinctive it still sounds like them they actually get away with it and there is some experimentation here like it does seem like the last couple of records 
they very much tried to go back to the meat and potatoes stuff and just double down on that, you know, as you say, uh, fervent fan base. With this, they're like, okay, there's a fire under them, I think, right? They're they're kind of politically charged. They're talking about climate change, of course. The cover, <laughs> the cover, the artwork is like, uh, it's a bit like Muse goes Heartland Rock, isn't it? It really I is, don't know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're really uncool as a band. <laughs> like, there's just... Their stylistic choices, I don't know, but I admire their spirit. I do think when they try different things, as I say, it, it, it tends to come off. Like the closing track here, River Cross, when they do subtlety and they bring in some kind of out of time era REM organ sounds, I think that works really well. Like when they have enough space in the songs for Eddie's voice just to do its thing, it works really well. It's when they're just going, okay, we're going to serve you up riffs. I, I just lose interest so quickly. <laughs> because it feels so kind of connected dots. I think they're almost scuppered by how good they are as musicians at times. Do you know what I mean? I like sometimes like point, yeah. really expert musicians, they don't get imaginative enough or they're very, they're sticking to, I don't know, like tried and tested, um, you know, what their talent allows rather than being a bit more creative about it. So yeah, you know, they probably have one of the best drummers in the world, say of, you know, a couple of the best guitarists out there who can do really good, you know, technical stuff that just doesn't really set my imagination alight um, too often. But there's there's definitely moments on this where I'm like, yeah, fair play to them. Um, like a song like Seven O'Clock when they do the kind of new wave stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'm on board with that. I'd say there's a handful of songs here where I'm like, fair play. <sighs> with all that's kind of a long-winded way to say i think this is the best case scenario pearl jam at this stage of their career and it's not quite enough for me as a casual fan but i admire the effort <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a really interesting summary i think that yeah i mean you mentioned even like they've one of the best drummers out there in the form of matt cameron who is yeah been with the band and a great since, songwriter in his own right he really really is ex soundgarden of course for anyone who may not know and there, he managed to fill a a bit of a gaping void in that band since 1998. They've been through about three or four different drummers, some of whom were treated not very well. There's a great book called Five Against One, which is worth checking out. Now, granted, it was written a long time ago now at this stage, so it won't tell you the full story, but it gives you a really good sense of the band's upbringing and also paints Eddie Vedder in a difficult light because he's not the most lovely guy in the world. Uh, oh, really? I did yeah, not know no, that. Yeah, no, no, he's, he's, guilty of, he's guilty of some fucking some misdemeanors for sure. I mean, nothing that would okay. be cancelled or anything, but just kind of <laughs> uh, the treatment of one of the former drummers and just his general attitude. Like, he's a guy with a huge ego, which should be very patently obvious in general. I mean, you kind of have yeah, to be if you're in his position. And it is interesting how much of an effect, as you say, Kirk Cobain had on his ego. He desperately wanted to be loved by him, which is fascinating. They kind of are this strange yeah. kind of two sides of the coin really in that time period it'd be really really interesting to see obviously the great nirvana thing uh, uh, great in the sense of the word grand is that nirvana never got to become pearl jam they never got to become this 11 albums in running out of ideas and just kind of going through the motions i think that's a really really cogent point that you made with regards to the idea of you've got five or four or five great musicians here you know jeff Hament, matt cameron stone gossard mike mccready that are so technically virtue, like they're, they're, they're such virtuosos that like, where do they go? That they, like they kind of run out of road yeah. to a degree and they're just left doing 
more of the same. I mean, like Pearl Jam are genre fiction, aren't they? They're just like a band that how many adventures can these guys really have? They've had their best adventures and they're still going and the fans will, will buy it because they want it. And that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. This is their first record in seven years. They're not cash grab artists. And it is unfortunate for them as well because they're a band that are so connected and so associated with the live show and the touring that they've had to reschedule all their dates for this new record coming out now until the end of the year, touch wood. Like, this is a band that feeds off the fan base in the best possible way. Although, I mean, you mentioned the idea of, like, politicization, like political lyrics and stuff. Not a new thing for Vedder, of course, either. But it is interesting, isn't it, how back in 2002, back in that Riot Act era, when Vedder would come on stage wearing a George W. Bush mask and he would spike it on the mic stand before stamping on it. Whereas Pearl Jam got away with that, but the Dixie Chicks didn't, which kind of tells its own misogynistic story of the industry and how Pearl Jam have kind of always been that kind of, you know, like your dad's favorite band or your older brother's favorite band. And there's just this kind of strange double standard Uh, as regards to this record. I mean, I found myself at first being like, it's very, it's very by the numbers and I'm not really getting much from it. I do think this record appreciates in value the more that you listen to it. I did find the back half in particular to be very slog-like until I got to my sixth or seventh listen over the course of the week. It's not revelatory. It is a Pearl Jam album. I'm glad that it's out there, but it's not going to keep my focus. But there's still they still have life in them. There's just yeah. not a lot you can do with it. I don't think anymore. I mean, by you know, by the time you get to track ten and come then goes, and it's just Eddie doing acoustic stuff for like it feels like six minutes. I can't quite remember if it is, but it's just like oh man, please. But on the flip side, the you know preceding track buckle up. They're doing something a bit kind of light and jazzy. Um, I think they do have moments where they can still surprise you, but it is just kind of pockets of stuff. Um, like I, I think it's interesting. They usually work with Brendan O'Brien. This time around, they've worked with Josh Evans, I believe, and he's been talking about it. He's like, he's been with the band for a long time, but he started literally, you know, kind of working Pearl Jam mailroom. He described it as like he'd move boxes for them. He'd like help out like painting studio walls. And I think this time around, they were just kind of playing it by ear, um, being quite playful in the studio, working with him. And they felt like, oh, yeah, something's happening here. So let's just keep him. Let's do something a bit different than bring in the old hand of uh, Brendan O'Brien. So I like I think, again, you know, it sounds quite patronizing, but like fair play to them for trying something. But I just I think they've run out of road to a certain degree, as you say. So for me, it would be. It'd be a five out of 10. Um, I think for fans, it, that will go up, of course, but it's not something I'll return to, but I admire the effort. It's a six for me. I think that they've done this better before. I like the tracks like Super Blood Wolf Moon and Dance of the Clairvoyance when they are kind of having a bit of fun. It does kind of deviate into standard, like Colour in the Dots kind of Pearl Jam here and there. And also I'm never on board for my lovely horse-esque kind of like like guitar bits where you're kind of like going up and down the fretboard. I'm like, I personally don't give a shit about that kind of stuff. I mean, like, I'm sure some guitarists out there are like, that's amazing. But like, yeah, it's a strange one. I mean, like, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't if you're a band like Pearl Jam in 2020. The fact that they even got to 2020 is kind of a story in itself. And look, you know, like, rather have them out there than not out there. But ultimately... At this stage, I feel like every new Pearl Jam album by default is for completionists only. So it's a six, but it's a it's a friendly six, you know, fair play, lads. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, OK, so our top fives this week, we are looking at late career highlights. Craig, this was your choice. Do you, do you want to give a bit of a tee up? Yeah, we've just decided Pearl Jam probably won't have one. Um, yeah, I picked this one just because uh, last Friday I was 
kind of bowled over by the return of Bob Dylan, which we haven't talked about as yet. I don't know if you listened to the new track, Murder Most Fell. It's like 17 minutes, like a sonic odyssey, talking about the assassination of JFK, conspiracy theories around that, what it meant in like American culture. I think it was his first new track in eight years and it was it felt like vintage Bob to me. I didn't think we were going to get anything like that from him. I think he's pushing 80 at this stage, but it felt like something that could have dropped in the 60s in the aftermath of that assassination and, you know, being up there with his best stuff. So I was like, okay, fantastic. Hopefully he delivers an album that. The late career highlights then would be like we've we've definitely debated in WhatsApp like what this means, but I think we're going more on feeling than um, real guidance on this but it's essentially like you know when an artist or a band that have been around for a while um maybe past their pomp um have you know hit a kind of a a lull in the road return with something that makes you sit up and go okay they're back okay they've done something special that can be an album that can be a kind of a late career song or it could even be an artist that's like you know getting on in years and suddenly delivering material that's actually genuinely up there with their very best stuff. Um, so my immediate like um you know archetypal go to with this would be a Johnny Cash who you know was kind of washed up for years commercially, uh, creatively not doing much. Teamed up with Rick Rubin when he was in his sixties and delivered those amazing uh, America recordings. Um revitalized his career was a total purple patch was a total renaissance that's a late career highlight um so that kind of stuff was it was the territory we're going in um but as i say it's all on feeling man it is all on the feeling yeah it was kind of what came to you quickly i suppose in that regard craig do you want to kick off your top five i do and this is a song from 2001 but i still think it fits as late career for these guys the band is new order and this is crystal Yeah, so that's taken, as I say, from 2001's Get Ready. Um, New Order, of course, still kind of going, but I think this fits his late career because, I mean, pretty soon after this, um, Gillian Gilbert, her keyboardist, left. She's kind of since returned. But also in the interim, Peter Hook has left the band. Um, it's one of the best basses of all time. I'm very much of the opinion that you don't have New Order if you don't have Peter Hook's bass lines. Um, like, it's, you know, um, when they lost Ian Curtis... They obviously changed Joy Division into New Order. Now, different circumstances. Um, one man, you know, died. The other man was just a bit grumpy and is still very much around. Um, but I think this was like very much their last hurrah. And for me, a song like Crystal arriving after the entire 90s where bar some like World Cup magic, um, <laughs> New Order weren't really doing a whole lot. Felt a bit cheesy this slots for me into their top five songs of all time. They're like glaring on the guitars in a way they hadn't previously. Um, it was such a kind of shot in the arm. It felt very of the moment as well, which was kind of incredible at a time when guitar music was back and it felt like they could have been washed up. But no, what a song. 
Phenomenal song, great choice. When I do these lists, I, I tend to find myself coming out with a bit of a long list, and the long list is usually like the bottom half, you know, like kind of a six to ten. Yeah. This was in my six to ten, for sure. I was very, very close to putting it in. I will say that um, Music Complete, which they released in the last few years, is also very, very good. They are the one of those bands that every now and then will pull out a bit of a gem. Crystal's fucking amazing. Like, it's so... yeah. It's so immediate, it's so moving, it's full of so much kinetic energy, and it's just really, really sharp. And also, it is a thing, we talk about this all the time whenever we mention New Order, you know, not the greatest vocalist of all time, but I do feel like he's just kind of the perfect fit for what New Order are. Like, I, like it just tends to yeah, work. he's like his own hype man at times as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's just kind of shouting along with the amazing music a lot of the time, but it totally works for me. And yeah, I think New Order are the band, you know, the guitar band that has come closest to emulating, like, the euphoria of high energy dance music, right? And this is a great example of that. It's just pure, like, euphoria. Great choice. Let's have, all- um, go on. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, like, <laughs> of a piece of trivia. So the video for this song, do you remember it? Vaguely. Okay, so New Order weren't in it. They cast a bunch of kind of younger actors as a fake band forming this song, right? The name of that band was The Killers in the video. Oh, a young Brandon yes. Flowers saw the video and was like, that's the name of my band. So you can thank Crystal for The Killers, I guess. Thanks, Crystal. You won't find The Killers <laughs> on my list, I'm afraid, but you will find at number five. Yep, it's Honestly by Zwan. Short-lived Billy Corgan-led project post-Smashing Pumpkins. Album came out at the start of 2003. By the end of 2003, Zwan were no more. So, Honestly is not on Spotify, which upsets me greatly. You gotta go to YouTube. And it's interesting because, like, first of all, the video, by the way, the lamest thing you'll ever fucking see ever. Like, your classic here's a new band and they like each other and they're hanging out and they're walking down a hall oh. and they're sitting in a, in, like, in a room on a couch and then they're playing in a room with a 360 camera and Billy Corgan's smiling away and he's having a great old time. Uh, isn't the future and the present grand? Turns out it wasn't and we'll get to that in a moment. But like, <laughs> I can totally understand why somebody would be like, really? This? This song? It's cheesy. It's saccharine. It's kind of basic. But I love it. I think it's a beautiful little love song. I think Billy Corgan's allowed to be happy every now and then. And I think it ties in with... For sure. Yeah, but it ties in with the likes of... If Perfect was this kind of, you know, like down the the road a few years later, you've aged a bit sequel to 1979. This is the sequel to Perfect. I think it ties in the narrative quite well. I think it's just a really, really sweet, lovely little song that kind of didn't get the credit it deserved. Do you reckon Kurt Cobain would have liked it? (laughs) Oh, he would have been disgusted by this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I didn't see that music video, but I remember reading and like their debut interview at the time. And yeah, it was all over. That was like the whole, you know, what I like about this band is that it's a total democracy. Like obviously the fucking hired hands in it were told to like talk, talk it up like that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't believe it as like a fucking 13 year old at the time. And I, you know, don't believe it now. But yeah, he like Billy is someone that will always come out with 
late career gems here and there. You just have to kind of go looking for them. Um, certainly, you know, Smashing Pumpkins Return, I did like a couple of songs off off that. What was it? Zeitgeist? Zeitgeist. Terrible name for an album. Yeah. And that's a great track as well. Like I did actually have a, a soft spot for his one. So a good choice. And my whoa, number four. Whoa, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, Before sorry, you. Whoa, yeah, no, 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 no. Because, no, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we ain't done yet, pal. We have to give the sad, tragic ending to Zwan. Because, I mean, as you say, hired hands in the band, everyone having a great old time, smiley, happy people. But not the case at all. So Billy did a bunch of interviews over the course of like the years that would follow, really. And he did not hold back. That might not surprise you. So this band, by the way, is one. The other members were Jimmy Chamberlain, his drummer and lieutenant in Smashing Pumpkins. So Jimmy was fine. You know, his good mate. That's 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 OK. Of course. But the other band members were Matt Sweeney. You had David Paggio of Slint and lots of other projects. And you had Paz Chanton post A Perfect Circle, pre-Pixies. And, you know, like I say, if I'm hanging out with Paz Chanton all day and I'm singing love songs into her, into her face and I'm smiling and she's smiling back, I'm probably in a good place, right? No, apparently not. Billy Corgan was asked, you pulled the plug on Zwan before you were supposed to tour Europe in 2003, only a few months after the only album came out. Why? Billy Corgan responded, it was devastating because I'd invested two years of energy setting it up. I didn't want to start over again, but it was a disaster waiting to happen, worse than the pumpkins. If you come out of something very painful, your natural reaction is, I'm not going to do that again. And you wake up and realise, not only am I doing that again, but it's worse. It's not even as good a band as the pumpkins. The record company turned it into a simple explanation. They said that the record didn't sell, so Corgan got pissed off and went home. But the problem started when the record was being made and success would only have covered it up. Jimmy and I talk about it often and we both thank God that it was not successful because if it had been, we would have been locked into it longer and the atom bomb potential would have been bigger. So then he's asked, did you have problems with the other band members? And he says, the music wasn't the big problem. It was more their attitude. Why do we have to practice, they would say, lifestyle stuff. And then you get into what I would call cataclysmic behavioural things. Sex acts acts between band members in public, people carrying drugs across borders, David Paggio sleeping with the producer's girlfriend while we were making the record. I just tried to do what I've always done, which is to patch it up and roll it out. You go into a denial state. I got snookered in by really bad people. It's embarrassing to me, but it wised up uh, me to why I play and who I love, and it made me appreciate my old band even more. Uh, later in a different interview, by the way, he would say, I detest those people. So there you go. Okay, forget Joe Exotic. I want this Netflix series. I know, right? But that, that's, <laughs> that's why I love, the, I love the juxtaposition of this gorgeous, sweet, summer lilted yeah. song with I fucking hated these people. <laughs> that's tremendous. Okay, well, my number four is an act that knew that the more members you have, uh, the more chance you're going to have problems. So they stuck to being a two-piece. Yeah, Pet Shop Boys with Thursday um, from 2013, um, featuring Example as well. So a, a brief uh, tree piece on that number. But what an absolute banger. Um, I know you have a lot of love for this song, Dave, as well. I was kind of thinking, this was in and out of my list, um, purely because I was second guessing myself and thinking, will Dave have it? And then I realized, it's no, I would be like 
be totally disingenuous not putting it in. It deserves to be there because it, it ranks right up there with Pet Shop Boys 80s kind of output, which is um, a huge compliment for me because I think those guys are great. Pet Shop Boys, of course, uh, longtime listeners of the show will know were one of the kind of first albums we reviewed and we kind of uh raked them over the coals a little bit um the follow-up album to 2013's electric um was not as good um did not have a song as good as this pop kids was pretty decent but um this kind of came out of nowhere as oh wow they're they're back to their pomp 100 yeah and i agree with you i mean it's interesting because we, we now have this weird uh chess game where we actually only participate at the end of the game because i was like i fucking agonized this week craig about getting these down to five and the one that just did oh, yeah. not make it in that 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 didn't make it in was vocal by the pet shop boys off this record the closing track oh, it's such a good album which is an yeah. astonishing song electric is a brilliant brilliant album everyone should stop what they're doing now and throw on electric by the pet shop boys it's such from start to finish it is so confident it is so dexterous it moves like a clip it's really impressive and it's just banger after banger after banger you really could pick almost anything off here but yeah thursday and vocal for me are the top two ones it's it's interesting because yeah it's weird i was gonna say sorry it's weird we obviously are recording on a thursday evening (laughs) listening to this song at a time when you cannot have a mad out of it weekend whatsoever it's like you're getting hyped up for a future that doesn't quite exist i'm also i'm also looking at the window (laughs) as like the grand stretch in the evening begins to give way to dusk and dark and I have the end of my beer next to me as well. And it feels very apropos. I was going to say, it's interesting that like we talk about Bernard Summer not being the best, bo- best vocalist ever. I think Pet Shop Boys get a similar kind of raking over the coals that, again, it totally suits what they do. Like, it's like, yeah, I mean, like the recent stuff hasn't blown me away. And Sad Robot World is one of the <laughs> biggest crimes <laughs> against music out there. But Jesus Christ, this album is fucking amazing. It's essential and it's yeah. vital. And I think we all need it right now. So, yeah, amazing choice, Craig. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. Number four for Davo. So much fun. Are you kidding me? That is Moth (laughs) Into Flame by Metallica from the album Hardwired to Self-Destruct. Craig, shall we get it out of the way first? I know this wouldn't be your number one choice off this record. You Should have been Halo on Fire, man. Halo on Fire. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So listen, you talk about gigs not being accessible at the moment. And, you know, it's a year now since I went to see Metallica in Paris. And I very much enjoyed myself at the time, getting absolutely destroyed on free booze and nearly shattering my ankle added to the experience. But Jesus Christ, I mean, like, I would love to be at that gig again right now. I would pay you a lot of money to to be there because Metallica, while, yes, often the butt of a joke for a lot of people and not a band I would necessarily claim to love too hard, they put on a hell of a fucking show. And it really was, this song to me was the textbook definition of, I did not know they had this still in their locker. It's just relentless. The song is a fucking freight train, a cartoonish burning freight train of 
giant metal riffs and I'm currently playing the new Doom game which is pretty much that on the soundtrack all the time <laughs> this would fit right in I just I found this song it's, it's one of my bigger cliches on this show we really need to bring back No Encore Bingo so people can can, can play the No Encore drinking game again and you're definitely going to have a tile yeah. that says Dave compares a non-pop song to a pop song as if it's some big profound statement I know it is not and I know it's, it's something I say often but Jesus Christ a pop song to me is something that just makes you feel you know this kind of extra lift and this song from start to finish is just a joy it puts a smile on my face every time they sound like they're having fun again it's really really fun it's really impressive i love it to bits and i think yeah definitely one of the bands that a few years ago seemed the most unlikely to have this kind of level of you know fire still in them um became a bit of a joke it's part of it now that they're they've bought into the joke themselves or they, they kind of go, okay, yeah, this is what we excel at. We know it's slightly ridiculous, but it's fun ridiculousness as well. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't take themselves as seriously so they can continue rather than like, you know, chasing their tails and ever decreasing circles of seriousness. And, you know. I think, I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's fair. I, I think with Metallica, and it was evident at that gig I was at in Paris and it was evident at the Slain gig that they put up on their YouTube channel there recently. They've managed to cross over into this kind of, okay, we understand who we are now, we understand what we are, and we also understand how much our fans mean to us. It is that kind of pro wrestling thing where, like with metal fans, you really have to have a genuine kind of symbiotic relationship with them. Don't get me wrong, Metallica are gouging those fans for ridiculous things, like as seen on that thing I went to last year, where you can pay two grand for the fucking spit-out-the-bone buffet and all that kind of ridiculous thing. (laughs) They have turned into Kiss. I'm not giving them the full, you know, altruistic credit here. But they also recognise precisely what this is and when james heffield says this is a family i think he believes it anyway let's have your next one um well from my shortlist hip-hop wasn't too well represented for a while there's been i mean it's still such a young genre that there hasn't been a huge amount of late career um highlights to be had i guess just by virtue of you know the age of some of the performers you would talk about maybe the likes of jay-z's 444 i was a big standout a tribe called quest's last album Um, was really a shining example of how it's done. They just kind of bowed out with such grace and an incredible record a couple of years ago. But this is my selection, and it's kind of a twofer I'm smuggling in. Um, So one is a producer and one is a rapper, and this is my number three. Yeah, One Shot, One Kill um, from Dr. Dre's Compton um, released in 2015, I believe. And that was, of course, Snoop. And what I can confidently say is his last good verse. (laughs) Um, He doesn't seem like a man... Like he talks in that very verse, which is just like so dexterous and unbelievable um, from him. He talks about like, you know, all of his hits being on the same par and like <laughs> him never failing. That is not true. Um, but he's so confident on that rap that you're like, yeah, I'll buy into it. Um, Snoop Lion. Or I think more recently he's released gospel stuff, which always bodes well, as we know as Kanye fans. Um, this, Dave, you were kind of asking about how we quantify late career highlights. And I said, um, 
again in a message during the week. As long as they have like four or more albums and had a bit of a dip, it's all good. So Dr. Ray is three albums. <laughs> <laughs> so broke my one rule. <laughs> but then you can factor in NWA as well, I guess. But okay, the amount of time between 2001 and Compton's, um, you know, Compton's release was massive. We did get kind of glimpses of what he was going for with the, um, the kind of mythical detox album, which never arrived. Um, and I think probably thankfully at this point, you know, we'd hear songs like I Need a Doctor featuring Eminem, um, the likes of Kush, and they were just like parody Dre G-Funk beats. I really expected his comeback to be like, you know, the sound of a man that was totally out of time. I think he realized that in fairness to him. Um, he got inspired um, with the Straight Outta Compton movie coming out and he basically went, okay, I'm going to try new sounds. I'm going to try something that sounds like it was done by an artist just coming out now. He totally overhauled his sound. Um, as per usual, gave a great platform to kind of newer artists like Anderson Pack and Kendrick, of course, really excelled on this. And I think Compton was kind of slept on. I think it's a, it's a real like career high. He doesn't strike me as someone that's going to be releasing too much more. I think that was him proving that he could still do it in a different way by switching it up and he's kind of riding off into the sunset but hopefully he comes back yeah i mean kendrick's verses alone are a reason enough to check this out but this track is fucking amazing is it john connor is that the name of the rapper on this? yeah yeah brilliant john connor's incredible on this Absolutely brilliant. and he's one of those guys that's like on a dre album and you expect him to like take on the world and be a massive star and then you hear very little it's just like you know dre's Midas touch he'll get the best out of performers on his songs a bit like kanye does and then they don't quite hit those peaks but yeah he's incredible on it um but he was like i think dre is the one person on my list that i'm like okay he might come back with something that tops that but like i had that problem with the likes of the manic street preachers which were there thereabouts with the likes of um journal for plague lovers but i was kind of being charitable and thinking okay maybe that was like a mid-career high for them i still believe you know futurology was great they'll still maybe have their best work ahead of them same with suede stuff like that but i think maybe dre was like okay one more and i'm done yeah compton's great i i think exhibit might have a really terrible skit on it that's worth skipping but overall it's pretty fantastic work I've always regarded Compton more as like Dr. Dre presents, you know, it's like, he's the fucking architect. He's the kingmaker. Yeah. He's the editor. And it is, I mean, I remember like back in the head stuff days, I remember um, when Josh, Joshua Hughes, friend of the show wrote a review of the album. I remember like I picked the featured image of Dr. Dre, like kind of looming over a chessboard. Cause it was like, well, you know, that's what this is. This is him nice, completely yeah. laying out a field of incredible talent and doing it incredibly well. So yeah, unreal, man. That's pretty good. So uh, my number three, I'm a bit nervous about this one, Craig, because I've got a real, I've got a big feeling here that this is going to be your number one. Let's find out. Baby, don't go breaking my heart. Backstreet Boys are back with probably the best pop song of the last five years. And somehow, like, we, we make mistakes on this show. I agree. How do I agree? But yes. <laughs> we make mistakes on this show. And I think one of them was that when this came out, we, we kind of missed it as a single. And thus, in missing it as a single, we didn't have it as not only in our top songs of that year, 2018, I want to say. It should have been the song of the year. 
This is an unstoppable, intense pop song. They have no right to drop this. I know they had help, but like, fuck me. When that chorus kicks in and the stomp that goes with it, it's utterly ludicrous. Is this your number one? Um, Okay, I shall reveal that this did not make my list. Oh my God. For one reason, and that reason was hope, Dave. (laughs) I hope that they take inspiration from this moment of absolute genius to launch into a new phase that is not late career, that is their imperial middle phase, <laughs> and they do a total take that. Like I was, I was considering like take that's comeback and stuff, but actually take that of being like releasing better stuff than their first phase for longer. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, uh, does yeah, that really yeah. count? At the same thought, so I'm like, maybe Backstreet Boys are are going to. I don't know. It's probably wishful thinking, but yeah, it's fucking, it's deathless. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The video is great as well. The lads dancing naffly as they always do, but somehow it just works. Did you see their? By the way, yes. Oh, sorry. Go on. You're going to say the same thing here. Did you see their like impeccably produced uh, isolation song they did? <laughs> yeah. I want it that way, which was incredible, absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah, I did. And um, did you see? Was it what's his name? JC Chavez duetting with Gary Barlow on Back for Good. No, I let that one go. I let that one pass me. That was so good. He nailed all the high notes, which is tough. Fair play to him. Don't go um, breaking my heart. I Greg. will just say right. Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC back in the day is an insult to the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Did NSYNC have one song that was halfway decent? Bye 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 is fucking no. amazing. Oh, I can't stand it. Okay, this could be something for another episode. This could, be a, this, could be a pa- right, okay. this could be a Patreon episode. Patreon, by the way, no encore. Go do it. Check it out. Okay, my number two um, arrived in 2008. It was the return of a grittier sound for a band that had been languishing for a bit um they they said it themselves they were spending too long in the studio they were falling apart as a group um they became very sanitized aiming for universal anthems it was not going well they were about to break up they decided to regroup they regrouped in dublin uh put on some live shows and came up with uh, their best batch of songs in a long time and this was the opener from that album Yeah, that's Living Well is the Best Revenge by R.E.M., taken from 2008's Accelerate, which was the opener for that album, and I think kicked off um, their final phase, um, two albums, Accelerate, which was really stripped back, back to basics, as you can hear from that kind of uh, reminiscent of murmur maybe in the songwriting and structuring, uh, Life's Rich Pageant from the 80s in terms of um, a bit of rock. Um, and then Collapse Into Now, which was their final album, which cherry-picked from throughout their career and really sent them off on a high. But I think this is their best late-period song. I did not see it coming at the time. I don't think anyone really did, considering, you know, I think four years previously they released um, Around the Sun, which was just so, so middle of the road, so, so beige. Um, for R.E.M., who I, you know, I always say R.E.M. are the greatest American band of all time. And they were doing stuff that was like elbow at their very worst. <laughs> um, 
they were barely communicating in the studio. Peter Buck, guitar, the car, guitarist, was saying, you know, he was bored in the studio. There was various takes being had. He, you know, he couldn't play his guitar. He basically said, okay, we either need, we need to break up or we need to just go play live and do rock songs again. And that's what they did. Um, so an amazing comeback. I guess what I want to ask you is, because you have, you've made this claim before, Craig, you've made the best American yeah. band ever claim. So, I mean, listen, everyone knows who R.E.M. are, that's fair enough, but obviously there could be some people listening who have never probably gotten into them, or maybe some people who are lapsed fans. So, myself kind of included, to be honest with you, um, where should we start if we were to be like, okay, you know what, fuck it, I really want to get into R.E.M. properly. Where should one begin? Especially now, during this quarantine zone that we're all in. Yeah, I think you kick off from the very beginning with Murmur, which is my favourite album of theirs. I like the early stuff, <laughs> but their <laughs> 80s run, yeah, shockingly, their 80s run when they were still like an indie band, um, right up to about Green is pretty flawless, which is like an incredible statement to say. Um, they were a murkier kind of very college rock group, um, quite removed from you know, the more world-beating likes of, you know, the tunes that were on Automatic for the People, um, which is also a classic record. There's so many different phases, I guess, that you really just need to find what sound of theirs you like and dip in. But I think their 80s run is up there with any kind of decade-long runs you'll you'll come across. I, like, I could recommend this album, Accelerate, is up there with the best. And that's, you know, coming whatever, 30 years into their career is, is saying something. Like, in terms of what they meant to music, um, going back to Kurt Cobain as well. He was just like, they were a great example of a group, an indie group that became massive signed, I think the kind of most expensive record deal in history at the time and still stayed true to um, their ethos, their kind of ideals, the roots. They never really sold out. Um, and yeah, just the fact that this propelled them to finish off and break up as a band on a real high, I think cemented their kind of their position for me. Um, because I think if this didn't happen and they faded out with Around the Sun and Reveal, do you remember Reveal, which had like, had a co- couple of hits on it and I quite like it, but it was one of those albums where you have to go, I actually like that album. And it's, you know, it says it all with the actually, but this Recorded was like Recorded in Dublin, I believe, Reveal. Some of it was anyway, I think. And I remember buying yeah. that record in school. It had the Great Beyond on it coming out of like Man on the Moon and that kind of stuff. I remember like that was like a big, a big kind of hit. Yeah, I'm not them. sure if the Great Beyond was on. I think that was a standalone one. Um, but Imitation of Life and All the Way to Reno and Sorry, like good yeah. pop hits I'm thinking of Imitation of yeah, Life yeah. yeah so there you go I do need yeah. to brush up on R.E.M. it's been proven right now <laughs> we'll do it man yeah. alright okay my number two uh, I mentioned earlier on that you know when Metallica was very much a case of I didn't know they had this still in them um, but again it's not like I was clamoring for it or I really cared either way it was a nice surprise with this act I really was so delighted to hear them kind of get back to a certain level. I took a weird sense of pride in this one, and here it is.
the kind of um, the kind of like lizard blues guitar that Jeremy Renner thinks he's doing, and Jim Morrison <laughs> Jim Morrison thought he was doing as well. Uh, <laughs> nice callback to Craig's Doors inclusion from last week's list. That is, of course, Marilyn Manson. The track is "Killing Strangers," the opening track from the Pale Emperor, an album that arrived in I think it was the start of 2016, and yes. It was very much a case of... Marilyn Manson was one of those acts where I got into him slightly later than everyone else did, and I kind of wrote him off. I was kind of like, ah, you know, just, you know, it's all image, it's all shocking for the sake of it. You know, there's probably not much substance here. Uh, Wrong. Turns out the first few records in particular are fantastic, Uh, particularly Antichrist, Superstar, Mechanical Animals, and Hollywood, an amazing three-album run between 1996 and 2000. The Pale Emperor, sorry, is actually from 2015, and I remember it coming out at the start of that year and just not really expecting too much from it. He'd kind of gave way to the excesses that he would have critiqued for so long. Now, he put out a record in 2012 called Born Villain that is still decent, And the stuff that came between would still have the occasional banger on there, but there was just the sense that he wasn't really that interested anymore and he was happy to coast. The Pale Emperor, I don't know quite what it did because it just seemed to unlock something within him. And it came from this opening track, which is an incredible strut. It's a dark enough pop song. And it's very repetitive. Like, it's, it's, it's almost kind of hard to pick a 30-second clip there, as we have just now, without it kind of sounding a bit monotonous. You kind of need to listen to all five and a half minutes in one go. But it is that classic thing of, like, walking down the street and feeling fucking 10 feet tall. And I remember specifically getting an advanced copy of this in December of 2014. And I remember, like, going to a mate's birthday party on, like, a, a Saturday in Dublin or whatever. And I just remember, like, walking out of it, like, late at night and just walking down the street and listening to this over and over again and just feeling like I was the coolest person in the world. I wasn't. But uh, and neither is Marilyn Manson. But, I mean, it's just a fucking incredible, incredible, fun, uh, like, the conviction that he has as well. It was just nice to hear him care again, which he clearly fucking did from Ward 1 on this one. Yeah, it is great fun. Um, and it is a testament to it being a kind of, like, career highlight that, as a casual fan, this is an album that I would go to if I want to kind of scratch that Marilyn Manson itch, which you really shouldn't do. Um, There's always a time and place for it, Craig. (laughs) Yeah, but I'll go to this record. Um, I think it's great. Like, I think he rediscovered what he loved about rock and roll and in particular, like glam rock. Like it's playful. It's, he definitely cares. Um, But it it is kind of with a wink and a nudge, um, which I think always, you know, was informed his best work. This is a brilliant, brilliant song. The vocals on it are fucking great. Just hearing it from that clip. Like it's so raw, but so fun. And yeah, yeah. A tremendous, tremendous choice. Also used to very enjoyable effect in the first John Wick film. So Craig. Oh yeah. It's time. It's time for my number one. Okay. Um, so for the longest time, I had one Leonard Cohn in this list. Then I was kind of digging back into this discography and stuff and i realized that leonard cohn never dipped whatsoever (laughs) um so i couldn't really put in a late career highlight because he was like some tremendous novelist that just released like one book every fucking eight to ten years and up until his 80s he was doing like the best work possible so leonard cohn is not there One man who I put in the same echelons as Leonard Cohn, but did actually have a bit of a slip for a while before making a startling return um, and signing off, sadly, is this man and my number one.
Yeah, David Bowie, I Can't Give Everything Away from Black Star, which was his final record, released a couple of days before he passed away on his um, birthday as well. Um, he'd already kind of had his big comeback, I guess, after um, years of silence when he was living in New York and living a, an ordinary life um, and, you know, quite a return to form, I guess. Um, but Black Star, I think, caught everyone off guard in terms of how it immediately ascended to the level of like his 70s masterpieces. Like if you talk about the top five, six, seven David Bowie albums, Black Star is right up there. And not just because it's venerated, because like he's, he's passed on or because of the mythology around it. It was the return of David Bowie as a really brave kind of envelope pushing artist, someone that kind of simultaneously laid everything out there but also couched it in mystery and enigma and um you know theater and play and kind of hid himself which i think is you know this would be my choice from this album you could pick obviously the title track which is um a real kind of sonic um psychedelic odyssey but on this he's basically signing off with his modus operandi like it's you know i can't give everything away i'm going through health struggles um i i know maybe the end is near um, hopefully not, but I'm not going to open up too much about it because that would ruin this carefully cultivated mystique I've had for decades and decades. And I think this is the absolute best example of an artist just like completely controlling his image to the point that his own death was kind of perfectly choreographed in a way that kind of gave maximum creativity, maximum kind of payoff to the fans and yeah, I mean, what a way to sign off. An absolute late career tr- triumph. Yeah, perfect choice, Craig. I mean, it's almost like that kind of thing of like a nod to the likes of Frank Ocean and similar kind of singular artists who are on the rise and being like, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and for my next trick, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a devastating work, obviously impacted hugely by the quick death that followed went out on his own terms. I mean, you can't ask for much more. And it is a record that took me a long time to kind of go back to. And even like on a surface level, like taking away the kind of headlines from it, like even like the jazzy kind of nature of it, it wouldn't be my usual kind of listening palette, I yeah. suppose. But it's, it, it is a genuine work of art. And with Bowie, there is always the tendency to kind of hyperinflate everything. And maybe someday we'll look back and be like, oh, wow. But he did have this kind of alien persona. He did have this kind of completely unique nature people looked up to him. I remember very, very specifically when he passed away. I remember going to work and I remember in work, you know, we had a rule where like, we don't even play music in the office and in the job I was in at the time. You play on a Friday at like five o'clock, someone would pick five songs and that's how it would work. It would go around the, would go around the team. And I remember that day, a guy I worked with by the name of Q, wonderful fellow. Uh, I remember him saying, I'm playing David Bowie today all day and no one's going to stop me. And he did. And there was this communion in, in the place. And I remember people saying that they were on the Lewis going to work and everyone had Bowie coming out of their earphones. You could hear it. Like there was, um, I think it was Josh Clark who used to work for iRadio in Galway. He was based in London and there was this famous clip that went round of him leading this crowd full of Londoners in a big, massive outdoor impromptu Bowie sing-along. It was just this touchstone moment, his passing after so many years of being a touchstone moment in living that, yeah, Black Star is kind of like the perfect full stop and it's it's interesting how like artists like bowie and cohen and others kind of get that because there's no promises in that there's no promises in life there's no promises in music and to be able to kind of look like look back and be like wow that's there it should be in the fucking archives like so yeah pretty pretty strong pretty strong 
It is the ultimate kind of wish for an artist, I guess. Um, so that, yeah, David Bowie's full stop. Not quite our full stop, though. No, it's not. I've the, still got... The other David is ready with his number one. <laughs> I've still got a number one, don't I? And I guess before I play it, it, what I... Well, before I play it, what I should say is that um, we don't know our list going in. And, you know, like, that's part of the fun, I suppose. Craig has actually managed to kind of tee this up quite well. And I'll I'll waffle some more on this one in a moment. For me, it had to be... It had to be this. Not a dry eye in the house for Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt, Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor's famous Hurt, covered by Johnny Cash and emerging as his epitaph. And listen, it's one of those things where it's always selected, it's always at the top of these kind of lists or the best covers or whichever. But there's a reason for those things sometimes, and the fact is it's unavoidable. This is an absolute masterpiece, like filled with emotion, coupled with a video as well, directed by Mark Romanek, I believe, which... Oh. shows you the ending of this incredible the, like the end of the road for a man who walked down so many roads so many american highways in his life the outlaw like time has finally got him you know like it's caught up and he knows it and he knows there's not much more hair for him and there wasn't much more hair for him after it came out famously trent Reznor has kind of said that johnny cash has done a better version it's his song now you, you can disagree mm-hmm. on that one i mean like it's interesting because for me you know i'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan but i wasn't i wasn't always and i remember when this came out I remember reading the book and the book kind of said that like Cash found the song that Reznor, you know, didn't have and it was so disrespectful. And I remember like parroting that and thinking that as well. And then I remember I once saw the Nine Snails uh, cover of Her- cover of Hurt, the Nine Snails version of Hurt from Reading 2007 that BBC broadcast. The weird Freudian slip as well just shows it is, yeah. the owns <laughs> it totally it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, Jesus Christ. I remember like seeing Nine Snails performing Hurt at Reading on the television on fucking BBC in 2007 and I was spellbound. I was like, oh my God, I didn't realise. I just didn't realise. I, I, I was so wrong. And that got me into Nine Snails off the back of it. But at the same time, like this is an argument in which there are only winners because all you have is this amazing song with two different perspectives. And for Reznor, of course, it was about being in the pit of, uh, of addiction and despair. And yet somehow finding that kind of 1% glimpse, that one glimmer of hope that maybe you can actually get through this. Or more importantly, that you wouldn't trade your situation, no matter how bad it was for anybody else's, because you do believe in yourself as a concept and as an individual and as a soul. For Cash, obviously, it was the closing of a book, a book full of many chapters, many moments, many adventures, and many people around the world being connected to that story. Again, like with Bowie, you just kind of can't script it better than this. And even something as, Mm. this is a song that is used in so many sporting montages and film trailers, but it always fucking works. And I remember even something as kind of like, I was going to say frivolous, but it's actually a really good fucking movie. Logan, the final kind of Hugh Jackman performance as Wolverine in a film that's actually very, very good. I remember the trailer with this in it, and I was like, that's just amazing. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's a genuine piece of magic, and we're lucky to have it in our lives. It is one of the most powerful pieces of music. Um, I do feel slightly perverse now for not putting it in because it's, you know, they call you the contrarian. 
But um, do you know what? Partly, I think that that was because I didn't want to go and listen to it because it's so powerful and so draining in the best possible way. Um, like I think it's it's you know when we talk about Bowie signing off with Black Star and how that's you know looking to the heavens maybe and kind of more alien territory and the kind of mystique and magic around that thing and him controlling it in a very um meditative way um with cash it's so true to him as an artist in a way bowie's was true to himself where it's it's very much the earthly concerns isn't it it's like the struggle it's the skin and bone stuff which like was very much um his bread and butter i i think his 90s um return to form with rick rubin was was tremendous just for you know music in general because it was a real clear signposting of okay you can actually you can do this, you know, for other people. I think it gave them a lot of hope. And we've seen, you know, uh, older artists follow this kind of, um, this route to great effect. But it was that thing of, it wasn't just he, you know, rediscovered some spark of creativity. It's that he hit a point in his career where he wasn't selling. So he kind of sold out and was doing kitschy stuff and stuff that really demeaned him as an artist, I guess, and a man of his stature. And it wasn't paying off for him. And when he went back to his roots and what he really cared about and spoke from the heart, sometimes through other people's songs, as with this, sometimes through his own still really um, stellar writing himself, he then read the, the audience came back to him uh, through that sheer authenticity. So it was a victory um, for a kind of authentic music. And a victory for authentic music sounds like something a fucking Oasis fan would say. But you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Fontaine's DC Doggerel is a victory for authentic music. but um a tremendous cap on a tremendous career from yeah an american a world icon and yeah wow powerful ending powerful ending worth checking out that entire album by the way there's some really good stuff on it american recordings for when the man comes around um i put out the call on twitter at hand ready dave for people's kind of sheds in this one and in fact got way too many to mention so i'm not going to do a big list here go to my twitter at hand ready dave and look for that related tweet from a few days ago might go might put together a playlist of some sort to try and incorporate everyone because there really was a lot of great shouts as for actually, yeah. yeah as for our top five next week though i think we should pivot to the extreme end of the last spectrum there, Craig, and I think next, fr- next Friday, next week, when Friday is when the episode will come out, that is correct, we will do our top five worst cover songs. How are you feeling about that? I'm on board, yeah. It's uh, time, it's time, it's time to get negative again. It's time to get to, to, to have a worst again. We haven't done a worst since It's what we songs. do best, I think. Enough of this praising fucking music. Yeah, we're being too nice lately. The five out of ten for Pearl Jam wasn't enough for me. Let's do worst cover songs. Worst cover songs <laughs> next week. And as noted earlier at the top of the show, we have set up a Patreon account. If you want to help support the show, give whatever you can, buy us a pint, etc., it's at patreon.com slash noencore, and we'll put the link out on Twitter as well. This episode was engineered by our sonic architect, Adam Shanahan, who is furious with us, Craig, for reviewing the Pearl Jam album and not reviewing the other album I've been listening to this week, Dua Lipa and Future Nostalgia. Now, everyone is saying this album's yeah. fucking amazing. It's getting five stars everywhere. It's getting like <laughs> mad, mad numbers. It's very, very good, Craig. I've really been enjoying it. Adam is relieved. <laughs> it's, it, oh, okay. Is it that good, though? It, uh, I listen, uh, to it? I I mean, listen to it. I mean, like, I, I think there's a tendency with pop records. I think there's a tendency with, you know, kind of names of the moments and, you know, that kind of extra level of almost supernatural stature that some people have. It's not five stars. Like, let's just put that out there right now. But I went in with a big <laughs> fucking cynical chip on my shoulder about this one. And it's very, very enjoyable. 
I think it's a big step up for her. My previous criticism of Dua Lipa has been that she doesn't have the tunes. Yes, I know New Rules was one of the biggest songs ever, but I saw her Electric Picnic and she's clearly a great performer and can command a fucking audience of 55,000 people as she did that night or whatever number it was. Uh, it was the biggest crowd in festival history before Billie Eilish came along, supposedly. But this, to me, is the step up. This is a much better album than her first one. It's well worth the listen. It flies by. It doesn't have a ton of substance, but it's not meant to. And it's a it's a recommend, yeah, for sure. Okay, nice. I will check it out. Um, knowledge of um, No Worries fame, um, his partnership with Anderson Pack uh, is back. He's dropped a record called 1988, which I'm really enjoying. If you like that kind of Dilla-esque um, hip-hop beats thing, that's worth checking out. In terms of the hip-hop as well, I will say, you know, doing that top five career highlights or like career highlights thing, I was going back to that Tribe Called Quest album from a couple of years ago. I think if people haven't heard it, check it out because I think it's the best thing they ever did. Q-Tip is a genius. It's called We Got It From Here. Thank you for your service. And it's it's quite uplifting in these times. So I think it's a necessary, li- in these times, it's a necessary listen if you want an uplift. I will check out Dua Lipa, so I'm excited about that. But yeah, that's me. Okay, you can report back on Dua Lipa next week. For now, my name is Dave Hanratty. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Back very, very soon. Thanks, guys. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.